Greetings and welcome to the Recombobulation Area. My name is Dan Schaefer. The city of Keele, Wisconsin has been home to some serious controversy over the last year after a right-wing organization called the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty made complaints about an investigation at Keele Middle School said to be over the misgendering of a transgender student who goes by they-them pronouns. But that wasn't the whole story of that investigation, as reporter Mario Coran has exhaustively detailed in in-depth stories for Wisconsin Watch on the ongoing saga in Keele. Joining us today to talk about that story, the ongoing fallout, and the recent backlash to the right-wing culture war politics is reporter Mario Corrin. Mario, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So you have uh, you have done a whole lot of work covering what has happened in Keele, Wisconsin uh, over the past year. Why don't we just go right back to the beginning to start things out? How, how did you get involved with this story, and, and how did your reporting begin to take shape? Yeah, so this, now I was thinking about this just recently, this, uh, my reporting on this goes back about a year now at this point. So it was about a year ago today that um, I was playing hockey, and uh, I came off the hockey game, and I looked at my phone, and there was a series of messages from a Kiel resident uh, that was letting me know a little bit about what was happening in Kiel, and that kind of started with, um, uh, you know, a description of these so-called culture wars, that seemed to be just really ramping up in Kiel and things seemed to be escalating um, uh, just, you know, it, to the point that it was really troubling this person. I have to be honest that at the time, you know, we have to be selective in our story. So at the time, I wasn't eager to really jump on a story. You know, I kind of thought I, I kind of thought this was a culture war story and wasn't really. Uh, something that uh, was maybe deserving of of resources, immediate resources. Uh, but the more this person told me about what was happening and the elements at play, the more interested I got. And so I, I drove up to Keele, Wisconsin, just to kind of check things out. Uh, the, my first experience with Keele was at a um, at a, a a meeting to discuss the potential banning of library books. And so this is kind of what was going on underneath the surface. There was, um, you know, these these sort of tensions that were playing out over critical race theory, over pronoun policy, over um, the effort to ban books that were LGBTQ friendly. All right. So that was kind of already in the back uh, on the back burner. And I was kind of already uh, just snooping around as a reporter and talking to people about what was going on. Uh, fast forward just a couple months later, and this is the point that people really, I think if you've heard about Keel, this is probably the point that most people first heard about Keel. So Keel is um, a pretty small uh, Wisconsin town, pretty sleepy. It's in uh, northeastern Wisconsin, Manitowoc area. And um, really, first people heard about it was about bomb threats. And so there there was bomb threats and there was backlash over, as you already sort of teased, um, around this investigation. Uh, this And it was a, a sexual harassment investigation over the use, uh, ostensibly over the use of pronoun policies. So the story on the ground and the story that really took off uh, on conservative uh, media channels was this, um, this idea that there was uh, one a sort of a, a one time slip of you know one or three boys making uh you know misgendering a transgender student 
And all of a sudden there's a sexual harassment investigation and people were very upset about that. Um, that ricocheted across the conservative media outlets, uh, uh, the uh, libs of TikTok, the very conservative, um, you know, uh, I don't know, I, I suppose pundit, uh, conservative pundit started tweeting this. And all of a sudden, as soon as the word was getting out about the story, uh, Fox News, Laura Ingram had had sort of amplified it. And almost immediately, death threats started coming into the city of Kiel, uh, started coming into teachers, principals, drop this investigation. This is ridiculous. Almost immediately after that, bomb threats started. And so there was a series of six bomb threats over nine days that completely shut down the city. Um, it paralyzed. It, it, it did school switch to in-person um, for the remainder of the year. Many businesses were closed. The city, the city hall was closed. And so this was incredibly disruptive. And people in the background were frightened. Uh, people were scared there in the town of Kiel. They were even scared to talk to me about this sort of these threats of violence in, in speaking out. Um, and already kind of what you alluded to, we found out later just through asking around um, that that wasn't the whole story. This this idea that there was uh, misgendering at the heart of this and that that was exclusively true. It there was a much more to the story and it really wasn't about that. But um, but that's kind of the setting that first that people first heard about this. And I can I can tell you a little bit more as we go. But. Um, I feel like that kind of sets the stage at least, at least a little bit as to how I first got involved. Yeah, it, a very serious situation in Kiel. I think that's when, like you said, that's when most people kind of understood, were flagged as to what was going on there. Uh, right. the, the bomb threats, the death threats, uh, you know, the national attention in conservative media, you know, I think. Uh, you know, there was the Laura Ingram spot that you mentioned, libs of TikTok tweeting about it, uh, Newsmax covered it, um, and uh, the folks from the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty wrote an op-ed for the Wall Street Journal's opinion page uh, titled, The Progressive Pronoun Police Come for Middle Schoolers. Uh, so obviously the the story that was being built and sold to conservative media and that, of course, rippled through conservative media uh, and really kind of whipped up this wildfire of interest in Keel, you know, came from that particular framing of the investigation of this Title IX sexual harassment investigation that was happening at Keel Middle School. But as you have reported, that wasn't the full story. So what was the full story and how did you come to learn that story? Yeah. And so I want to be careful that I, I you know, I have never talked to, um, I have never talked to the transgender student or their family who were at the center of this. Um, and so I, I can't say that with authority that I have the complete story, but I have spent a lot of time on the ground, a lot of time talking to people both on and off the record to try to piece together what, what I think was the real story. And I have to say that most of those details, what I would consider of what I would consider the full story or the fuller story came from the lead attorney from the Wisconsin Institute of Law and Liberty, uh, um, Luke Berg on this, as well as the the mother of one of the students who was accused of, of doing the bullying. And so what it sounds like is that although it had been couched as sort of a one-time incident of misgendering, that there was actually uh, tension and uh, conflict between at least one of the three boys and the transgender student that went back the whole year. Um, and so this was dating back months and months of 
of, you know, you know, there may be some discrepancy, I suppose, over what we consider bullying or what, you know, you may consider bullying and I may consider bullying, but there was problems in class, all right? And it went back a long time to the point where one of the boys had actually thrown food um, at the transgender student. And so, you know, although we don't have the, the, the full details of this, and some of this had been documented in the music teacher's notes, um, you know, it does, I think just that alone objectively tells us that the story that was being fed to conservative media outlets at the very beginning was only a slice of really what was happening. And um, yeah, just, I mean, sorry, if I, does that, does that get to that, that point? That would, Yeah, yeah, sorry. absolutely. That, and I think, you know, as you, as you wrote in the piece, you know, the, a music teacher flagged several incidents between the boys and the transgender student. Uh, there were other incidents documented over the course of, of several days. You mentioned the incident where uh, one of the boys threw food at the transgender student. So this, this is the type of, you know, action that would reasonably prompt some sort of investigation from the school. Uh, if this was such some sort of ongoing affair, ongoing problem, uh, the school is in its right to take some level of action to, to understand what happened uh, and, and, you know, protect that student who was, who was being bullied. Um yeah. And and I would add too, Dan, not to cut you off, but I would add too that uh, they were not only within their right; they had a legal obligation to follow through on the right. uh, on, on the investigation once the complaint had been filed. And there was a very conservative, excuse me, there was a very concerted effort by some in town who are aligned with, um, I would say, you know, further right folks or folks on the far right to uh, really kind of pressure the school board to drop this investigation. Um, and, you know, the, the idea that this investigation was wrong for happening in the first place and, and how dare we put, put our boys through that. And so that was sort of what was coming from, from folks on the right. And let me just tell you a sort of troubling piece of this to this day was that, um, you have that, that sort of voice happening in town right around the time, that same time we have the bomb threats coming from a person who, or people to this day that have not been that have not been identified. Um, and so the troubling piece of this, aside from all that, was there was threats made that if you do not, from the, from the anonymous bomb threat maker, um, that if you do not drop this investigation by Friday, June 3rd, I believe it was the date, um, and this is going to the school board, we're going to continue to target more areas and we're going to continue to uh, um, um, put our attention on, on scaring uh, folks. And, and so, you know, in the, in the 11th hour, there was this closed, um, a closed session school board meeting. And in the 11th hour, the school board at the time emerged from that meeting and said, we're just going to close this investigation. And that's the end of the story. Right. And, and that's a very troubling piece. I mean, we had, um, we've had, we've, I've spoken to legal experts who have pointed out, look, this is, uh, this is potentially signaling a very dangerous, uh, this is potentially setting a very dangerous precedent. Um, if we think, if people out there, maybe on the extreme side of things, think they can get their demands met by simply making threats of violence, what does that say? What message does that send to school boards or really to uh, political officials everywhere? So it was, you know, very troubling just in that aspect alone. Yeah, just just a really frightening situation overall that this that this city through you know just by the mechanism of the way 
conservative media works got swept up into this firestorm uh, where they were at at the target of you know so many of these violent threats and i think you're right it is it is troubling to see that they you know the that the school board chose to shut down the investigation uh in the way that they did um but I, but i think i i want to circle back to the other part of this which is the incomplete narrative that the wisconsin institute for law and liberty pushed when they sold this to conservative media now you had the chance to speak with um the lead attorney who was involved with this luke berg um how did that conversation go uh yeah so the first time i had spoken with him i had um actually i had heard that this was immediately after the investigation was closed and the bomb threats came in um i had heard that luke was going to be addressing an audience in the appleton area um, it was at a, a, a private uh, Christian school uh, addressing the audience about this, about, you know, you may have heard about pronouns and you may have heard about what happened in Kiel. This is the danger that we're facing as Wisconsin residents. So that was the sort of thrust of his of his talk. Um, and it was in many ways uh, a victory lap at that moment for them. I mean, they were this attorney. They were this legal group that had backed the parents. Uh, making the complaints here uh, on, an, on, a, on an incomplete narrative. And, um, you know, folks in the room were very, uh, they were very vocal in their, in their sort of applause and praise. Thank God we have will in this state um, for, you know, basically doing the Lord's work. So that was the, uh, that was the sense in the room. So, you know, that's pretty wild we, just to stop you there before <laughs> just that that is a pretty wild, they are taking a victory lap on causing an anti-trans panic that brought bomb threats and death threats to a small Wisconsin town. They are taking a victory lap on that. That is just, it's just beyond ridiculous. Yeah. And it was also troubling to sit in the audience. I mean, I have to say, I've never report, I didn't report this piece, but what was troubling about that was also um, the sort of vitriol or uh, criticism addressed to this transgender student. Um, lots of mocking of pronouns in general, lots of mocking of a student, of a child, right? And so just as somebody that is just cares about uh, kids and public education, that was just, that was uh, remarkable to to just kind of witness that sort of unchecked um, um, uh, praise for See, the actions. Seeing grown adults target a vulnerable child, that's, yeah, that's it's pretty, it's pretty shocking. Yes. Yes. And so, um, you know, that was my first sort of introduction uh, to Luke and, and to my and what actually helped me is that he addressed the investigation and talked about it in front of this group. So afterwards, I, uh, you know, to his credit, he was willing to to talk with me, said that he'll talk with with anybody. And so he gave me a few minutes, interviewed him in the parking lot, got a few details that weren't reported and called them later on the phone and got more of the full story. And, and, you know, to their, uh, uh, their take was, look, we, we are a legal group. We're under no obligation to repeat or to sort of share the part of the story that could be favorable to the other side. Um, we weren't there. We don't know exactly what happened. So we have no obligation to sort of put that out in the, in the, in the news and maybe legally they don't, but uh, I think you could say that, you know, a, a charitable, interpretation is that the story was incomplete um folks might also say they were manipulated or it was a manipulative way to sort of put put that story out there with with uh you know with limited facts in the way that they did so that was my first um 
that was my first discussion with with Luke Berg and also the mother that had been, you know, appeared on Fox News with her son and had been at the center of this. She also spoke with me and she volunteered details. She's the she's the person that, that told me that there was much more to this story, that food had been thrown. And so all of these details came from from them directly. Um, and uh, that's basically I mean, there was no tricks on my part. They had volunteered it. And that's what I went with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean. In my perspective, it just seems like a deliberate misinformation campaign to create this kind of anti-trans panic uh, that has, you know, uh, far from an isolated incident. I think you're not the only one. At, I think some of your colleagues at Wisconsin Watch have also talked about how or written about and covered how these anti-trans messages, you know, made their way into a lot of campaigns within the midterm elections, um, you know, up and down the ballot. Uh, it, it it was part of that strategy uh, to really, you know, create these culture war specifically issues to to really fuel those uh, members of the far right that are particularly um, I don't even know how to characterize this have 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 serious problems with uh, transgender uh, people in general. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. So you you talked to Luke Berg and he more or less admitted on the record that this was an incomplete narrative uh, and that there was that they was being pushed to conservative media uh, to create this frenzy. Um, So that was last spring. So that was more or less in the wake of those bomb threats, in the wake of the death threats, in the wake of the school having to cancel the final weeks of its in-person classes of the school year, uh, the town having to cancel its Memorial Day parade, all sorts of other kind of cancellations and closures, uh, a really chaotic environment that was created by folks like Luke Berg and the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty. Uh, And so you have, but but that wasn't the end of the story that you have been covering in Kiel. You recently, I believe last week, published a piece on kind of a story of backlash to this culture war uh, that was unfolding in Kiel, uh, particularly within their school board and in relations to the the school superintendent. So, so walk me through, you know, how you went back to Kiel and and what you have been uh, reporting in recent weeks and months there. Yeah, so I think the best, maybe the the shortest way to characterize this, or the most direct way to characterize this, is that the the bomb threats were, in many ways, the spark or uh, uh, the heat that caused this these longstanding sort of simmering problems in Kiel to boil over. And in reality, those tensions had been building uh, for a number of years. Um, when it exactly started, people are in disagreement over. Um, but we do know that there was just other, there was a separate bullying incident, for for instance. Um, and I won't walk you through the whole thing, but there was a, there was a, a separate bullying incident um, that involved uh, one Black student named Armand Wempner. And, um, uh, he was one of five black students in in the school in 2020. Uh, he received text message on his phone from other members of the football team that were very racist in nature. And his mom and dad tried to address it with the school. And that that wasn't 
it wasn't met to their satisfaction initially, but what they eventually came to, fast forwarding a little bit after help from the ACLU, what they eventually landed on was an agreement to provide anti-racism training to the school, um, to school staff, students, and and this thing would be addressed in the future, their hope was. Um, that sparked its own sort of backlash. And in terms of a timeline, when when was this happening? Yeah, so that would have been in the lead up. That would have been before... Um, uh, the Title IX investigation. So this would have been around 2020. And this played out for about a year um, from their first efforts to address this, which it sparked its own backlash. You know, many people in the town stood up and called it uh, critical race theory and said it's Mar- Marxist indoctrination and it has no place here. And so they blocked this uh, or, or t- made efforts to block this anti-racism training that was happening. So there was a ra- there was a racial element to this, too. Um, there was a sort of moral panic around uh, around gender and pronouns and orientation um, that dated back a couple of years before that. Um, and so that started over the use of uh, of a family bathroom in school. So my, my point here is that there was. There was items percolating in town, tensions percolating that really were, were sparked off here. I think when when this happened with the uh, with the bomb threats, it really seemed to to energize people, or, and in some cases wake people up to the elements that were happening and brewing in their city this whole time. Um, and so there was sort of building awareness and building. Uh, a sense of of organization to push back on these elements of of misinformation on these on these sort of backlash politics and so that has been building over the summer and it's been building since those stories were first reporting and so most recently there was an effort to um uh i, I don't know if you want to call it um not renew the superintendent's contract, maybe force that superintendent out. That superintendent had been blamed for some of this, for launching the Title IX investigation, for uh, driving what they uh, so-called woke agenda in school. And, and Dan, let me let me just stop and take a minute. I mean, what's been called a woke sort of agenda and what's been, been sort of labeled by some to be this far-right element is, is just stuff that's happening in school districts everywhere. I mean, it's not... It, it's it's very innocuous innocuous stuff that is being that is somehow getting this label. It's stuff like the word diversity has now become controversial in some circles, right? And so we're talking about um, I, I think some hyperbole here. To be fair about this so-called woke agenda, and so there's just been building backlash, I suppose, to that backlash. And most recently, there was a school board meeting where the superintendent's contract was on the line. Enough people had heard about it and enough people had been sort of tired of all of this, uh, this sort of brewing tension that they showed up and, and, and really, um, I, for the small town, shocking numbers, right? So <laughs> it was a very sort of loud um, re, uh, rebuke of what had been, of, of not only the effort to get rid of the superintendent, but a rebuke of these elements that, that people had had enough of. And, um, you know, these, these sort of far right elements that were running unchecked. And and by the end of the meeting, enough people were pushed, had pushed back on this effort to get rid of the superintendent. Enough people had uh, criticized some some of the members on the school board that not only was the superintendent, excuse me, the superintendent's contract renewed, um, two school board members who had been sort of driving that effort resigned, uh, resigned in frustration, resigned we don't know exactly what was going on in the thought. They just resigned abruptly so, right after the meeting. That, so, that happened on the spot during the meeting? 
one school board member resigned on the spot. Um, unknown whether other school board members knew that was coming. I don't. I, I haven't been able to, to know that. But he resigned on the spot. Another, the school board president, resigned a week later. And so what that did is it just kind of had shifted, it reshifted power, um, political power on the school board. Um, you know, in the past, nobody really cared about school board races. I mean, it, they're, they're, they're sort of low stakes affairs. There's not a lot of power to being a school board member, but that's changed over the past couple of years, right? And people have seen it as a way to sort of influence the culture of a town by influencing the culture of a school. So this is kind of in the past in the past couple of years, we've seen this a lot, but that's that's fairly new, I suppose. In, in right. And I think in, in Wisconsin, we saw that quite a bit in the spring election cycle last year. Right. Uh, you know, I think, you know, just thinking back of the timeline of the past few years, you have 2020 with everything that 2020 involved, including the kind of racial reckoning uh, and the Black Lives Matter movement and the protests uh, 2021 and 20 early 2022, I think, involved a lot of the backlash to that uh, and that formed in kind of the anti CRT push uh, within, you know, on the right. Uh, and then it kind of made its way to a lot of school board elections. I know here in southeastern Wisconsin, uh, where I am, you know, that manifested in a number of ways. I think in Waukesha, a lot of the conservatives won school board seats. Uh, and then you had the case in the Mequon Fiendsville school district. Uh, and I believe those elections were in, were in 2021. Um, but that those elections trying to recall some of the more, I guess, moderate comparatively uh, members of the school board, those far right groups failed uh, in their efforts to, to flip those school board seats. So I think, you know, we're seeing that at a local level quite a bit and it, it seems to all kind of, connect here to this uh right-wing media targeting of you know the quote-unquote woke agenda which is of course their catch-all term for anything uh involving racial equity or lgbtq rights uh that that seems to um you know really uh trigger a a, a strong response from the right just to uh to put it mildly i suppose um yeah. But so so when once these school board members resigned in Kiel, the way you characterize it is they returned to a moderate majority. What what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a that's a good question because one of the I, I think one of the challenges for reporting the story and it has been throughout is how do we characterize some of these political labels. It's it's very difficult. And let me just tell you some of the backstory to this. And so we use the term far right in this in this to, to characterize some of what you've described, right? And so we've gotten a little bit of we've gotten some questions over that. First of all, we looked at Associated Press and Associated Press has used terms the this term to describe um sort of folks who 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 uh, had repeat some of these same talking points the other the other side to this is that we're talking about a conservative area that has been generally conservative um and we have people on the school board that that had considered themselves um uh had always considered themselves conservative right uh, one school board member had told me look i thought there was nothing worse in the world than being a liberal um and and yet I'm being called a liberal because I don't 
uh, because I don't support this sort of outrage uh, over over LGBTQ uh, backlash. That I don't su- I don't support this um, this outrage over CRT. And so there's my point is is that there's a very sort of uh, it's it's very sort of difficult to land on the right political label when you have a, a school board member of like that telling me don't use the term discur- uh, conservative. I'm conservative. These people are just extremists. So that's a little bit of that's a little bit of a backstory about how uh, about how we landed on these labels. And so, yes, it has the the latest happenings shifted, uh, I suppose, political power back to the moderate and and that's kind of you know that that is representative of of not necessarily a liberal or or a progressive label but just sort of i suppose what they would characterize as common sense it's 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 politics not being driven by by outrage first and foremost yeah i think some of the quotes that you had from from parents uh, you know, talking about talking about this issue and talking about how maybe they hadn't wouldn't have gotten involved uh, with a conversation like this had things not gone as far as they did. Has those extremists not been emboldened uh, in in ways that they did? Uh, and I think that is a really interesting because, like you mentioned, this is in a really conservative part of the state. This is in, um, you know, I actually I went through to look up the uh, assembly and state senate representatives for for Akeel, Wisconsin. You know, it's a it's within the Senate Majority Leader's district. Uh, Devin LeMayhews, uh, he he's a staunch Republican who ran unopposed in the most recent election cycle. So they didn't even have you know a Democratic candidate uh, to challenge him. And in the Assembly district there, I believe it's some somewhere along the lines of a fifteen to twenty point uh, Republican advantage for for that particular seat. So this is this is not exactly like a typical swing area of the state where you have a lot of, you know, people duking things out on, on both sides of the political aisle. This is kind of like you mentioned the the it's more of conservatives against the extremists instead of the, the Republicans against the Democrats in a lot of ways. Um, so, yeah. And so, you know, I, I, we don't have a ton of time left here, uh, but w- where do you see this, you know, kind of taking shape going forward? Is it, do you think this, this moment with the with the superintendent, you know, kind of staying in his job. Do you think this is a significant one uh, and one that could point to, um, you know, things calming down in Kiel uh, in the months to come? Yeah. So early on in this, um, early on in this, I spoke with somebody named uh, a gentleman named Eli Shaver, and Eli Shaver is quoted in a, in a couple of my pieces. Um, but Eli is the uh, He's the chair of the Democratic Party of right off the top of my head. I don't know if it's Manitowoc County or Calumet County. They're right next door. I believe it might be Calumet County. But even very early on, he sort of predicted where he saw this going. And he said that this was back in the spring. Right. And remember, back to the spring, we saw this. um, We saw this actually uh, getting traction and showing up uh, effectively in a lot of school board races across the state. But Eli called it at the time, and Eli said, look, I don't think this can last. I think that this sort of outrage politics has got a, a, a fuse, right, that it's got, it's, it, it's got a timetable. People cannot live and be sustained on outrage politics forever. At some point, it's going to sort of happen. This, 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 is, this tension has got to break, and people are going to be asking, okay, what now? People want stability. People crave uh the the 
the uh, the ability to send their kids to school with peace of mind and know that they're taken care of and know that it's not this hotbed of of controversy in politics. And so what Eli called at the very beginning, I have to say, I don't know if I believed him because things were so tense at the time. But we've seen that happen. We've seen that happen in Kiel in this case, where these outrage politics that sort of um, uh, lost some of their steam. They lost some of their muster, right? And and people started kind of waking up and saying, I'm tired of this already. This isn't doing it for me anymore. And I, I'll tell you, Dan, the thing that I think is most striking in this element is those those outrage politics kind of got people to care about it in a certain way in the elections last spring. But where they stopped, I think it's really important that they stopped at the point where they were going to get rid of a su- superintendent who they knew personally, who they had interacted with on a day-to-day basis, right? And it's really hard to refute. It's really hard to take these abstract concepts and have that change the way that you think about somebody that you know personally. And so I think that this relationship building is is, is really key in here and this sort of uh, ability to, to think about the people that we know and our neighbors. And I think that's in, in my impression of what has happened here, that's where that's where it lost its power. It wasn't able to change people's minds uh, uh, when it came to people things that they see on an everyday basis. And you know, I don't know how we apply that to politics uh, in a broader sense, but I, I think that's what happened here on a very local level. Well, Mario, your reporting on this has been terrific. I encourage everyone to read all of it over at Wisconsin Watch, and I uh, thank you so much for joining me today to discuss this story that you've been covering in Keele, Wisconsin. Oh, thank you for having me. It was fun.